Well, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for about six months, um, the Lord's Prayer for about one month, and as we continue, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to form in you and me a heart for God and a proper uh, stance, style, and substance of prayer as members of the Covenant of Grace. Last week, we looked at the second petition, Your Kingdom Come, which naturally leads us right into the third petition, Your Will Be Done on Earth as it is in Heaven. As God's kingdom advances in the world, God's will is done more and more by God's people. And one day, when the kingdom comes in full, they will do God's will perfectly on earth. Perhaps you've noticed that in English, the first three petitions don't sound like petitions. So it might help to think of the petitions as let your name be hallowed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We're asking God to do these things. Father, we ask that your will be done here among us as it's done among the angels of heaven. Now, God's will is mysterious and confusing, a confusing concept for many Christians, young and old. God's will is often perceived as cryptic, um, hard to know, hard to nail down. And instead of going to Scripture to better understand God's will, to guide their steps, some Christians turn to the sensational or superstitious or miraculous to guide their steps, which is shaky at best. People do some weird and superstitious things in attempts to find God's will. Some Christians put great stock in dreams, visions, or even audible voices, Some put out fleeces or cast lots. Some assume that their emotions or inclinations, or maybe just bad indigestion, is God leading them to do this or to do that. It's as if the word and sacraments aren't enough. They they seek the sensational, they seek the exciting because God working in and through the ordinary and routine seems so blah and uninspiring. Saints, there's much confusion in the church today about God's will. What is it? How do you know it? Where do you find it? Does does God reveal it to some Christians and then leave other Christians to live in confusion and doubt and nervousness? Well, these are relevant questions because Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can we pray your will be done if we don't know what our Father's will is? Now, have you ever gone to the grocery store only to realize once you're there that you don't remember why you went? Milk? No, we have three gallons at home. Purina? No, we don't have a dog. Vanilla yogurt? No, there's that weird beaver juice in it. Look it up online. Why am I here? Why did I come? Or have you gone to the supermarket, bought your groceries, gotten home, and then you realize you bought the wrong thing? You might have to go back. So imagine meandering through prayer, not knowing what you're asking for, or you're asking for the wrong thing. Well, that's not an exercise of faith, nor is that a faith-building exercise. 
But if we know what God's will is, brothers and sisters, and we ask him to do it, we are then ready to watch him do it and to praise him for doing it. I want to ask three simple questions. What is God's will? How is God's will done in heaven? And what does it mean to ask God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? First, what is God's will? Kevin DeYoung said, the will of God is one of the most confusing phrases in the Christian vocabulary. Well, if that's true, praying your will be done is confusing for some Christians, maybe quite a few. So carefully considering that God's will can be thought of in various ways could help a lot of Christians, including us, to get this prayer right. Scripture talks about God's will in various ways, different ways. To be clear now, God has one will, but we talk about his one will in different ways, and I'd like to mention five of those ways. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want to confuse you. This is not to get fancy, all right, Uh, to give you all these fancy terms that you can't, but these distinctions will help you know God's will so that you can pray it and anticipate it with faith and thankfulness. So here are the five. God's hidden will, God's revealed will, God's decretive will, God's preceptive will, and God's dispositive will. And I'll try to substantiate each briefly from Scripture. Number one, what is God's hidden will? God's hidden will refers to the things that God has not revealed to us in creation or in his word. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. In Acts 1, 7, Jesus told his disciples this, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's God's hidden will. We don't know it, until he reveals it or until it happens. Number two, what is God's revealed will? God's revealed will refers to the things that God has revealed to us in creation or in his word. Think about the, the Lord giving the law at Mount Sinai. Referring to the gospel, Paul said in Romans 1.17, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The law and gospel have been graciously revealed to us. God will in this sense, God's will in this sense of speaking is knowable. It's knowable. And here's where some Christians get themselves into trouble. They focus on the hidden will of God over and above the revealed will of God. Instead of focusing on knowing God as he has revealed himself in Scripture and obeying his clear commandments as he has revealed in Scripture in every circumstance as it comes to them, they worry and obsess about things that God hasn't revealed and and about decisions that could really go either way. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I go here or should I go there? 
It's easy to become preoccupied with what God hasn't revealed about our future and to lose focus on what he has revealed to us in Scripture. Scripture says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God didn't tell me to marry Christina to accept this position at Jerusalem Church and to move to Mannheim. I followed God on the way to Christina, Jerusalem Church, and Mannheim. By the Spirit, I endeavored to follow God and submit to his commands as I made choices in the circumstances that I found myself in. I married Christina and came to Jerusalem Church in Mannheim because the opportunities were there and because I wanted to. My point is that God reveals his will to us in Scripture. And if we are preoccupied with doing all his commands for his glory and our greatest good, God will sovereignly direct the details of our lives. That's his providence. We we don't need to worry uh, about whether we are in God's will as in his hidden will if we are striving by the Spirit to obey our Father's revealed will found in Scripture. Trust Christ, brothers and sisters. Strive by the Spirit to obey your Father's law and move along, move ahead. As John MacArthur concluded in in his, what I found to be a very good book, titled, Found God's Will. If you're truly saved, filled with the Spirit, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, submitting to God in everything, suffering uh, well for Christ, and walking in thankfulness, then do whatever you want. And I like what Reverend Norman L. Jones says about God's hidden will and revealed will. He says, quote, The secret will of God requires submission. The revealed will of God requires obedience. Number three, what is God's decretive will? Decretive will. God's decretive will is God's sovereign and effectual decree or purpose. One devotional explained, God's decretive will is sometimes described as the sovereign, efficacious will by which God brings to pass whatever he pleases by his divine decree. The Westminster Confession of Faith talks about God's decretive will like this. God, from all eternity, did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet... Neither is God the author of sin, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Think of it like this. might be a simple way to think about it. God sovereignly directs history to follow his storyline. God's decretive will cannot be thwarted by anything. Job prayed, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalms one, uh, Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, he lifted his eyes to heaven um, and he praised God and he said this, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Paul encouraged the church of Ephesus telling them that they had been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, the existence of evil, this is a biggie, leads some Christians to doubt and therefore dispute the certainty of God's decretive will. But they must carefully consider the cross. In Acts 2, the apostle Peter preached that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. I want you to think about that. The horrific Roman cross for the Son of God was God's eternal purpose. The horrors of the suffering of God's Son were God's will. So God has an eternal purpose that is not susceptible to disruption. Number four, what is God's preceptive will? Well, a precept is a command. A command. So God's preceptive will is God's commands. The, the Ten Commandments are God's preceptive will. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's God's preceptive will will. God has revealed it, and God requires it. Jesus talked about doing the will of God. The benediction of Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 talks about God equipping the church that they may do his will, working in them that which is pleasing in his sight. So brothers and sisters, we don't have to guess about what God wants us to do because he has plainly revealed it to us. He has told it to us in his word. So our concern then is not what God keeps hidden from us. Our concern is what God has revealed to us. God's decretive will is never thwarted. And yet God's preceptive will, his commands, well, they're broken all the time. All the time. God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven in the sense that his commands are not followed on earth as his commands are followed in heaven. One day they will be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Number five, what is God's dispositive will? His dispositive will. It's God's disposition, his posture. Now, it doesn't really apply to the third petition, but it is helpful to be aware of this. R.C. Sproul described God's dispositive will like this. This will describes God's attitude. It defines what is pleasing to him. For example, God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, yet he most surely wills or decrees the death of the wicked. Now, if you're paying attention, that might make you feel uncomfortable. But check out Ezekiel 33:11, which shows that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. 
And yet Jesus' mention of Judas in John 17, 12 reveals that God absolutely and certainly decrees the death of the wicked. Sproul continued, God's ultimate delight, and this is razor sharp logic. If you get this, you'll, you'll understand the point here. God's ultimate delight is in his own holiness and righteousness. When he judges the world, he delights in the vindication of his own righteousness and justice. Yet, he is not gleeful in a vindictive sense toward those who receive his judgment. God is pleased when we find our pleasure in obedience. He is sorely displeased when we are disobedient. End of quote. So hang with me here. God's disposition towards unbelievers who sin is one of a just and demanding judge who condemns because of obvious guilt. But God's disposition towards believers, towards his children, when they sin, is one of a loving and an affectionate father who is certainly displeased with their disobedience, but who lovingly disciplines them because he loves them and works all things for their good. There's a difference in the disposition of who? So God's dispositive will is key in understanding how God foreordains the destruction of the wicked yet takes no pleasure when the wicked perish at their destruction. Okay, so God's will can be thought of, of at least in five distinct ways. His hidden will, revealed will, decretive will, preceptive will, and dispositive will. And I'm not, again, I'm not meaning to confuse you with fancy terms, but when we come to the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you need to know how to think about God's will or else you won't know what you're asking our Father for. This is very practical stuff. You have to get it. So there are people who come to this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and they pray it as if God is not sovereign as if he is not in control, as if God's decretive will can be thwarted by either man's free will or some act of Satan. And brothers and sisters, that is a horrifying, scary thought. When Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the assumption is that God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. But in what sense should we understand God's will not being done on earth? Are his sovereign decrees thwartable? Okay, I made up that word. Thwartable. I think it makes sense. It wasn't in the dictionary though. Are God's hands sometimes tied? Is human free will able to prevent God from accomplishing his decretive will? These are important questions. Years ago, Christine and I were talking to some people and they made a point that God's hands were tied. And I think arguing that God wants to do certain things but he can't because human will or choices prevent his will, that is a very, very, very unsettling thought. If God's hands are tied and his eternal purpose can be derailed or if his eternal purpose is contingent upon human will, there is no salvation for anyone. 
And praying your will be done is entirely pointless and futile because it means, it would mean, that God doesn't have the ability to accomplish His will. What are we praying? When we pray, your will be done. It assumes God's absolute freedom and ability to bring about his sovereign will. Listen very closely to what I'm about to say. It's deeply comforting. Please don't miss this. It is God's decretive will that secures his people's increasing obedience to his preceptive will. It is God's decretive will that secures his people's increasing obedience to his preceptive will. If praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is going to mean anything at all, God must be absolutely sovereign in absolutely everything. If we cannot distinguish between what God sovereignly decrees and ordains, his decretive will, and what God sovereignly commands and demands, his preceptive will, we will be confused about what we're asking for when we pray your will be done. The third petition has God's revealed and preceptive will in mind, in view, his commands, his law. Because that is the sense in which God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. All that God decrees comes to pass. But not all that God commands is obeyed. So the Lord's prayer has God's revealed and preceptive will in mind. So then, how is God's will done in heaven? Well, God's decretive will is done in heaven and on earth all the time. It's always done. But God's commands are done perfectly only in heaven. Every angel responds to God's demands with complete desire, complete confidence, complete worship, and complete joy. Psalm 103 verses 20 and 21 say, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. The the ethos of heaven is I will do and am doing everything you ask of me, Lord, for your will is my duty and your will is my greatest delight. That's what heaven is like. Your sinus described this celestial scene like this. The will of God is done in heaven in such a way by the angels that every one of them stands before God ready to do whatever he commands. They do the general and special will of God most promptly and cheerfully. No one declines or refuses to do the service which God requires for them. No one transcends the limits which God has prescribed and in which he requires them to serve. No one is ashamed to serve us, although we offend them and God by our sins. Folks, that, that's not what life here on earth is like. At least not yet. Leon Morris, he said, in heaven, God's will is perfectly done now, for there is nothing in heaven to hinder it. So let me ask you the question, what hinders God's law from being perfectly obeyed on earth? What is it? It's sin. It's sin in us and sin in the world. 
Heaven has no sin. Earth has a lot of it. But Christ has conquered sin, brothers and sisters. He is eradicating sin from his people right now. And one day, he will complete his conquest at his return. And when he does, the earth will be redeemed and restored and righteousness will cover the globe. Brothers and sisters, what does it mean to ask your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does that mean? What are we asking? Simply put, when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking God that in every single area of our life, our schooling, our singleness, our marriage, our parenting, our extended family, our friends, our work, our weekends, our vacations, our hobbies, our whatever, that he would help us love him. That we would love him and and that he would help us keep all of his commandments with joy and thankfulness just as that is happening in heaven right now. The third petition is essentially a request for a desire and, and power to obey God in every circumstance, every second of every day. It's asking God to restore righteousness to all of creation, a reality that has already been secured by Christ who will bring it at the consummation of His kingdom, but that we also want to see increase more and more in this life now. In Ephesians 5, Paul encouraged the church with this, for at one time you were darkness. You were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Children of the light know the will of the Lord. They know what it is. They they seek to live it. They know Scripture. They discern Scripture. They discern God's will from Scripture. And by the Holy Spirit, they seek to live out God's commands revealed in Scripture. Now think about this in connection with last week. Isn't the kingdom of God where God is willingly and joyfully obeyed? Isn't that the kingdom? Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. And then what does he add? In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is spiritual. So if we pray your kingdom come, we naturally also pray your will be done because our desire is for God's great name to be hallowed by universal obedience, everywhere. J.C. Ryle rightly said about the third petition, we here pray that God's laws may be obeyed by men as perfectly, readily, and unceasingly as they are by angels in heaven. We ask that those who now obey not his laws may be taught to obey them, and that those who do obey them may obey them better. Our truest happiness is perfect submission to God's will and it is the highest charity to pray that all mankind may know it, obey it, and submit to it. You see, 
Ryle was obviously referring to God's revealed and preceptive will or obedience to God's law. That, brothers and sisters, is what's done in heaven. That's what believers want to happen here and now on the earth. Saints, when you understand that your greatest happiness is in perfect submission to God's will and that your greatest love for others is in your desire that they may know God's will, obey God's will, and submit to God's will, then you will pray your kingdom or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven with clarity and sincerity and urgency. You'll know what you're praying. Now, even though sin continues to infect us and infect the world, by God's grace and by his Holy Spirit at work in us, our desire for obedience is growing, as is our obedience. Isn't that what you want, dear brothers and sisters? Isn't that what you want, that God's law is universally obeyed by you and by everyone else on planet Earth? Isn't that the kind of world that you want to live in? Isn't that the kingdom that you want? So let me just ask you this. When you fight with your spouse, I mean, just your words and like mean things, does it increase your joy and enhance your life? Does it? When you hurt others and you say things and you're like, really wish I could get that back, but now it's out, does it make you happy and content? Does the threat of terrorism help you to rest and relax? Does the news of war give you deep comfort of the soul? No. All these things are horrible. They're horrible, 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 and they make us uncomfortable, and they make us anxious, and they make us worry, and they make us fearful, and they make us like, we're not leaving the house today. Kids, put on your rubber suits. Just sit in the corner. We're all going to just stay safe in here. You know, life is very uncomfortable at times. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven We're praying that God would so work in all the earth as to move us and people to heartfelt and thankful obedience for his glory and my goodness for our greatest good. The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains the third petition very simply. It just says it like this. In the third petition, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. That's what we're talking about here. Saints, God's law is given to us as evidence that he really, really loves us. We we don't have to guess what our father wants us to do as his children. We don't have to wonder, like, what kind of God am I getting today? He's consistent, and he tells us very clearly what he requires of us. Of course, we struggle. We hear his will, and we struggle to do it. Of course. We're we're needy. Um, We're going to struggle because of sin. But he has given us his expectations. And so we pray that our Father would help us understand his expectations, obey his expectations by his Spirit, and submit to his expectations with joy in absolutely every single area of our life. 
just like the angels do in heaven. Heidelberg Catechism 124 explains the third petition with great eloquence, and it says it simply like this. Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey thy will for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Well, that excellent statement helps us know what the third petition means. Our will is corrupted by sin. Anyone want to argue that point? It's corrupted by sin. None of us naturally, like in our natural man, desires to do God's will, nor do we have the natural ability to do it, any of it. We naturally desire and we naturally do our own will, which is contrary to God's will and leads to death. So as believers united to Christ then, there's a change there when we pray in faith, in union with Christ, as we come before our Father, your will be done. We're asking God that he supernaturally help us deny our own will. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You cannot desire, like deep down in your heart, my will be done, my will be done, my will be done, and then pray your will be done with any sincerity whatsoever. It's just not going to work. To pray your will be done is to ask your father, get this, take my will, conform it to yours. Make your will my will. Make me want what you want. Is he doing that? Yes, he is. Because he loves us. That's what he's doing. He's conforming us. Not only do we seek God's grace to deny our own will, we need his grace, but we ask God to enable us by his spirit to obey his will without murmuring, without grumbling, without complaining. This is such a drag. Why do I have to do this? 1 John 5, 3 it's a simple verse and it really needs to take root in our, in our hearts. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Not burdensome. Will we pray your will be done with sincerity and urgency if we think God's commandments are burdensome? If you think God's commands are just such a drag, such a fun killer, just ruining my life, always telling me what to do and what not to do, you will not pray, your will be done, because deep down you will prefer praying, my will be done. So let's be honest. Obeying God is hard. It's hard. It's demanding. It can be very painful. Obeying God leads you right into really difficult circumstances just by trying to be faithful. It's hard. The temptation to compromise in order to feel comfortable is quite strong. Norman Jones said this, sometimes we think that it would be to our advantage to forget the will of God for a moment and go ahead and do our own will. This is the whisper of Satan, however, 
and can only bring us into sin and sorrow. Preferring your will to God's will leads straight into sin and sorrow. God's will leads, on the other hand, to unparalleled blessing and and his gracious reward. I mentioned this earlier, but your sinus said the will of God is done in heaven in such a way by the angels that every one of them stands before God ready to do whatever he commands. See, God gives his angels responsibilities, things that he wants them to do, and when he does, his angels are entirely ready and resolved to do their duty joyfully for the glory of God who commands. So when the Heidelberg Catechism explains, grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven, here's what that's saying. In whatever duty God has given you, in your schooling, singleness, marriage, parenting, extended family relations, friendships, careers, whatever duty God gives you, carry it out with readiness and gratitude and joy and resolve and faithfulness as the angels are doing right now in heaven. Do your calling, brothers and sisters, for the glory of God's great name, your Father's great name. Let your routine, the one that gets boring sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Just, are you serious? I have to do this again? Wasn't I just doing this like 10 minutes ago? Changing diapers. I'm sick of it. I'm so above that. You know, isn't that like the wrestling of the soul? Routine, everyday stuff. Let it all be for the glory of your Father's great name. There is purpose in it. There is a calling in it. Do it for Him. The routine is okay because that's what He's called you to do. And I like what, how Norman Jones put it, willingly without any complaints, faithfully without alterations, instantly without postponement, constantly without interruptions. Can you understand why Jesus taught us to ask our Father for this? Why would we ask for this? Because it's impossible. Why are we're not going to do this unless our Father provides for us what, what we need and then when we pray, He's teaching us to ask for it because we're needy and we're children and we're just coming to Him again and again and again and again. Father, please help me. Please help me. I need this again. I need you again. I need you to help me to do this. That's why He taught His disciples to pray this. We are not naturally inclined to do any of God's will. So as needy and as dependent children, we must ask Him to bring His will in us. Bring it about. So, do you pray your will be done in faith, expecting our Father to help you and help me do his will? Is that how you pray this? Or do you pray the Lord's Prayer as a cynic or a skeptic? Now, we talk a lot about guilt, grace, gratitude here at Jerusalem Church. It's on our sign. And... And there is a way to be so preoccupied with guilt that you stay there. And you don't actually hear the gospel and don't actually believe that God will answer your prayer by working his will in you more and more. Just so buried beneath guilt. Your will be done is a prayer of faith 
and expectation from which we take comfort knowing that the Holy Spirit makes us, we could say sovereignly makes us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. We pray expecting our Father to respond to our pleas and our asks. Because, why, why would He respond? Because we're praying for His will. We just want what He wants. And, and our Father is answering your will be done in our Father's answering, is our comfort in life and death. So brothers and sisters, pray for it and then expect it and get your eyes wide open to see how your Father's gonna answer this prayer. In the shadows of the cross with the righteousness, the righteous wrath of God rather, weighing heavily upon him, our Lord and Savior said in Gethsemane, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. You don't know that kind of pressure. You don't know that kind of stress. None of us do. And yet our Lord and Savior prayed, not as I will, but as you will. His heart for the Father. <laughs> wow. With the justice and righteous indignation of Almighty God upon him and the cross quickly approaching, Jesus prayed with the utmost sincerity and urgency, your will be done. Consider it, brothers and sisters. It is this Jesus who needed to pray this Jesus who wanted to pray. This Jesus who knew his Father would hear and respond. It is this Jesus who went to the cross. It is this Jesus who rose again so that when you and when I, by his Spirit at work in us, pray with sincerity and urgency as needy children, your will be done, his Father hears. His Father responds because you ask in solidarity with Him. What gives you any confidence at all, brothers and sisters, that God's going to listen to you? Why would He listen to you? And why would He hear your prayer? And why would He respond to someone like you and me? Please get this. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, God is our Father because of Christ. And God our Father hears us and responds to us because of Christ. So brothers and sisters, pray for your Father's will to be done in you and in the world and then watch for it because you belong to Christ and because our Father is already responding.